Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Patrick. Patrick has lived in NYC since 2014. Before that, this New Hampshire native lived in Boston. He has worked in education for 10 years after making a career change from healthcare. He has been sober for 15 years. Please welcome Patrick. And, and um, I'm very fortunate and grateful, and I, um, and I do recognize that um, my rock bottom was, it could have been much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very grateful that my rock bottom was enough to get me to stop. Mm-hmm. So now that you are sober, what are some of the tools in your sobriety toolbox? Do you go to AA? Are you an NA person, therapy, groups, organizations? What keeps you sober on a day-to-day? Yeah, so I I do want to say, though, um, and, I, and this has been a big part of my life in the last several months, I'd say the last six months, um, I was diagnosed with um, ADHD inattentive type. And um, as soon as I got that diagnosis, it was like... I don't even know how to explain. I don't know if I can articulate the feeling of that I felt. Um, it, it it kind of um, you know at the end of a murder mystery and everything is everything is revealed and it, it all makes sense and you can see how it worked and um, you you know why th- the things played out the way that they did. Yeah, that's what getting that diagnosis was like for me. Absolutely. Um, it made sense. Um, you know, and I. And I, some of the things that um, we know people with ADHD suffer from, um, anxiety, depression, higher rates of uh, substance use, uh, rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, all of those things were things that I identified with and related to. And it just, it, it made me feel like I wasn't a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it kind of took away some of the moral... Uh, bias and judgment that we tend to put on um, on things, and so right now I'm 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 working with uh, a doctor who's monitoring me and prescribing Adderall, which was you know that also was a conversation that I had to have with him because he's aware um, of my substance abuse and my recovery, um, but the Adderall has helped tremendously, um, and now I'm just sitting down and and kind of trying to educate myself. Uh, reading articles, going on uh, discussion boards, and going to lectures about rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, and emotional dysregulation. Um, so that's been really comforting in a way um, to to know that this is something that's out there. This is something that I relate to, um, and it's helping me um, move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also... Um, keep in contact with people who are sober. Um, I did go to AA for many years in Boston and in New York City. Um, I got to a point where I decided that uh, I wasn't getting what I used to get out of AA. Um, so I stopped going to meetings, find what works for you. Um, 
but also be aware that you change and sometimes your your plan uh, for sobriety changes as well. I think also, um, you know, every once in a while I will pop into a meeting. Um, but for the most part, I think just being in contact with people, um, being open and honest um, about my recovery and my addiction, um, speaking on it whenever I have the opportunity. Um, I feel like that really helps me um, with my own biases, my own shame. Um, and it, it, you know, and it, and I, um, I don't know, I get a sense of, um, people who are very, very inquisitive and interested when I speak, it's not so much, uh, judgment now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really, uh, appreciate that change. Um, so those are some things that I use. Um, who is your biggest supporter? Ooh, I don't. I don't look at it from a standpoint of who's the biggest. Um, I, I, I look at it in who do I know that I can count on for support um, when I need it because every time you need support and what you need support with is different. And some people are just naturally better uh, at giving certain types of support in certain situations. Mm. So. Um, I have a friend who I've been friends with since first grade, um, and uh, you know we're we're we still remain very close. Um, I know that I can go to her for anything. Um, I can always reach out to my parents. Um, you know, it's there's like a funny thing about age and becoming a grandparent, where it makes you <laughs> almost a better parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because the relationship I have with my parents now was not the same that I had when I was a kid, um, and definitely not when I was in active addiction. Um, so I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, and then there's, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to work at a great school. Um, and I know that there are people in that school that I could go to for support. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can say me too. You're allowed. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And you, I know that I can call you and that's one thing about dating someone who is in recovery. I think it makes it a lot easier because there's this understanding between the two of us that like you understand the addictive brain, you understand the addictive, you know, things that we do, we do to ourselves and it's, there's no shame and judgment between the two of us or, you know, and I think that also speaks to your communicating with other addicts. So one of the big reasons I started Sober Gay Sunday was because not only for the fact of like, I wanted to be an alternative recovery program, but I also wanted to have people I could turn to also um, that understood. And even if you are friends with an addict or you're, you're, you know, not sober yourself, but have dated someone who is sober or have a sober family member, you don't understand addiction. Right. And being with someone who understands addiction is, is, is a huge help. Right. Because they could just sit and listen and understand. Yeah. And I think that, you know, all, all those people that I mentioned for support uh, do not identify as addicts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I would still go to them if I needed to. But but you're right. I think it's it's very beneficial to have someone who's been through mm-hmm. uh, a journey that is not the exact as yours, exact same as yours. But at least there are some similarities that will help with, mm-hmm. with the connection and um it just, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. I was in a relationship at one point where someone just said to me, but you're never going to do it again, right? And that, <laughs> on that single question made me 
in my in my in the back of my head I was like you don't get it right you don't get it um so that's it's it's really helpful to be in contact with people who do really understand right and I you know the other day I I had this thought that came through my mind and I I was really happy with myself that like I stopped it and pinpointed it and I was like ah even after almost 16 years, that is your addiction talking. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it is so nefarious and insidious that you could have just gone about your day without even recognizing that that thought came into your mind. Um, so I was really grateful because, but, you know, people who are not addicts will never understand. They, they may understand it, but they won't truly understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may have some some empathy for you, but that level of, of empathy is only so deep because mm-hmm. they haven't lived through it. They haven't experienced it. And the coordinator of the Shatterproof Walk today, we had a c- good conversation with her before we left. Um, she's trying to make, one of the major things she was trying to do is trying to make people realize it's not a moral right. failure. Is that what she said? Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's a disease, not a moral failure. And she said 75% of the country that are non-addicts think it's a moral failure. And that's something that no matter even if, you know, how much our parents loved us, how much our sisters loved us, how much our brothers loved us, how much our friends from high school love us, there is still that little bit in their head. It's like, but it's a choice to pick up a drink. It's a choice to do this, to use. And I, you just don't get it. Right. And, and, and if you think about it, if 75%, 74% of the country still thinks like that, mm-hmm. chances are someone in that percentage was someone who raised you. Yeah. And so you're carrying that around yes. on top of whatever depression, anxiety, uh, rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, emotional dysregulation, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you have that compounded with, uh, you know, those attitudes and it just leads to this situation where you think you are the worst person in the world Mm -hmm. not to discredit also the love and support you all give us we love you very much thank you very much yes (laughs) but it is it is one of those things where you find your tribe and it really does help um so once you got sober what were some goals plans and you know kind of gifts of sobriety that emerged in your life yeah so oh wow uh once i got sober i uh i moved to boston um I, you know, I, I really didn't have, you know, I, I had like some general goals or uh, some like visions, I would mm-hmm. say, manifestations, <laughs> like, some visions <laughs> of what I wanted my life to be and not really goals. Um, I, you know, after I got sober, I um, moved to Boston. Um, I ended up meeting someone who would become my longest relationship and also my husband. Um, and... So, uh, you know, I, I never expected any of that. And then we moved to New York in uh, 2014 and I, I started working in education and it was, again, things that I had never, never expected. Um, and along those, uh, you know, along most of my 30s, I uh, got, you know, uh, two master's degrees, um, changed careers. Um, you know, I ended up getting divorced. Uh, but you know, it still, uh, was a very significant, impactful relationship in my life. And, uh, we're still very friendly, um, and communicate regularly. Um, yeah. And, and now I'm working on my PhD and these are all things that I, you know, could thought about, uh, you know, in the distant, um, in the distance, but I never thought that they would materialize. So, Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of change. 
That's all amazing. So if you could give one piece of advice to a newly sober person, what would it be? Mm. I, yeah. Wow. Um, I, I think I would say, you know, I, I was always afraid and I still am every once in a while. Like FOMO was a big thing, mm-hmm. even though when I would <laughs> go to an event, I would have so much anxiety that I'd be miserable the entire time I was there until I could catch a buzz. Um, but I would say like, you know, stick with it because the FOMO that you will have from from not getting to the life that sobriety will bring you is much greater than the FOMO that you will have from missing out at a party mm-hmm. or not going out for Thirsty Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things when I first got sober, I made a list of three things. <clears throat> Me and my therapist kind of pinpointed as the root cause of some of my stress and anxiety, which was rushing, having FOMO and worrying. And one of the things I was like, I my first year sobriety, I was like, I don't do this anymore. If I found myself having FOMO, I just tell myself, we don't do that anymore. So the part of my boss at work was like, what do you say? You don't do that anymore? I'm gonna start saying that. Yeah. Um, the second, this question is probably one of the hardest. And the reason I ask it is because um, because of my sobriety, I'm very vocal online about it. I'm very open about it. I celebrate every month of sobriety posts. Um, and my sober gay Sunday organization, I plaster all over everywhere. So one of the things that I get is a lot of messages from friends and family of addicts. And this question I'm asking to you is kind of one of the more common questions I get asked is if you could give one piece of advice to someone who has a loved one currently in active addiction, what would it be? Um, first and foremost, I think, uh, you, you need to take care of yourself. Uh, if, if you're not in a good place, it's going to be that much harder for you to take care of that person, mm-hmm. um, or to try to get that person help. Um, and then the next thing I would say is, um, f- find support, mm-hmm. whether that's your own therapist, whether that's going to, um, Al-Anon, um, wh- whatever, whatever way you can find support. Um, so definitely take care of yourself and find support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, again, I, I think therapy is, is very important because those things do not go away. The things that were the root cause of us drinking, um, don't go away if you don't deal with them. Um, and they will manifest consistently throughout your life and you may stop drinking or, or using drugs. Uh, but, but you may not ever really truly reach your full potential and, and happiness may be something that's consistently elusive mm-hmm. and it takes work. Yeah. And, and I've sat in uncomfortableness for many, many days. Uh, but I've come through that uncomfortableness with a better understanding of who I am and the direction that I want to go in. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest thing is cause people a lot of times will be like, you know, my, my advice is usually the same thing is protect yourself and get help and so that you can help them. And sometimes that means stepping away from the addict because they're, they need to fall on their own right. and people don't want to do that. People don't want to stop and, and they, oh, I can help him. I can help her. It's, it's really tough. It's sad. It's sad because I know like my parents before I got sober were doing, they were going to the Al-Anon meetings. They were trying to figure out what to do. They were talking to other alcoholics in my family. Like, what are we going to do? And so I, I know that that conversation and that, 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 
that moment has been involved in my you know directly in my life so it's it's tough and it's you know because i love i love the good stuff i love hearing seeing your posts make me so you know inspire me even people who aren't addicts like are are saying how inspirational it is to see someone stepping out and really just putting it out there and putting it so in people's faces um but then when you know some mom from you know fucking you know kentucky or someone is like my you know i i I found your page and and my my son is 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 out of control what do i do i'm like it's it's it is so hard (laughs) it is yeah it is and and Ultimately, it helps to hear other stories and it helps to hear people who uh, can direct you in one way or another. But you also have to realize, too, that like each individual person is has their own individual story mm-hmm. uh, and that includes their addiction and, and when and how, if they are ever going to get sober, how that's going to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, also realizing that there, there's no one way to do this is really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, the, the support network, um, it's, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, it's, that's kind of like my second piece of advice is like find that support because I, I, I tried to white knuckle it myself and be this kind of like lone wolf at the very beginning of my sobriety back 10 years ago when I first started getting sober or got sober. And it just doesn't work. It really doesn't. You can't do it without help. So, like, stop being a tough guy because it doesn't work. Um, so, as you know, I run an organization here in Boston called Sober Gay Sunday. We are a um, social group. did yoga. We've done axe throwing. We've done the beach. We've done paint nights. So, if you could plan one dream Sober Gay Sunday event, what would it be? All right. Um, I would say, all right, so this is going to be, I'm big into astrology, um, anybody mm-hmm. who knows me knows that mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I am a Leo, very much a Leo, Leo sun, Leo moon. Uh, and I enjoy the uh, lavish, luxurious things in life. So I would say it would have to be like a full spa takeover with like, oh, cool, cold pool baths and, you know, massage, facials pedicure everything whatever you want laser we got laser. Like that will do it head to, head to toe all the stuff <laughs> yeah. all the cool stuff that's yeah. a great one that's a good one um all right so now that we're wrapping up where can people find you on social media yeah so my social media account is private um because i am a teacher and the school that i work for as part of our contract they require that all of our social media be private so that's just a little disclaimer Mm -hmm. doesn't mean i don't accept people's uh requests uh so on instagram it's mr patrick paul m-i-s-t-e-r patrick paul so that can be that'll be also in the show notes so we'll make sure to link that so you guys can go find patrick on social media I, I think they might be able to find me on another page, too. You can also go through mine, because <laughs> he's on there, too. My Jim Dave account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you so much for doing this. Again, this was our first live interview with the person sitting in the room with me. So I'm. we'll see how it sounds. Yeah. Uh, Patrick has the headphones on, so I'm recording in the dark right now but it has been really great to have you it's nice to have you you know just share your story because i haven't really heard it all the way through yet so it's yeah we talked about that too that there's there's other things and and you know there's other things that i didn't get a chance to share here oh of course on the podcast that are you know very meaningful as well Mm -hmm. so yeah on my first my the first three episodes if you have not listened to the first 
maybe four, three or four episodes of this podcast, I think it's, um, are my story. And there are definitely parts where I kind of, you know, you leave stuff out because it's, it's a little too juicy to start yeah. off with. Yeah. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for being here. This was really wonderful. Thank you. And um, we'll see you later. Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talking. Tell me something jar-topping in me on my head with your biggest mistakes. I don't want your daily drama. Fill me in on family traumas. Tell me all the medication that you take. Cause life's so short, we're playing so fast.